Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of School of Thought. I am very honored today to have a guest who I first heard on uh, Nathan Frazier's Live Free FM. Uh, you can also find a video that, I mean, I've, from Live Free on FM, I also went and checked out his video that he made uh, with Tragedy and Hope. Um, Peter, Daryl, what's his name? Is it Peter Grove? I always get his name wrong. Richard Grove. <laughs> Richard Grove. <laughs> Richard Grove. So on Richard Grove's show, uh, it's, it's something history. Peace Revolution podcast and of history so it doesn't repeat. Yes, history so it doesn't repeat. So uh, anyways, Daryl, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Daryl back – Wow, Daryl, this is really rough right now. <laughs> right on, Drew. Thank you. <laughs> Inviting me into this uh, seat of the pants production. I love it. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, I wanted uh, I wanted Dar- I wanted you to come on today, Daryl, to uh, to talk about uh, the Trivium method and uh, nonviolent communication. Um, for me personally, I discovered the Trivium Method through Jan Irvin. First heard him on the Joe Rogan Experience, and he was talking about the Trivium Method, and that stuff really resonated with me, made a, resonated with me, made a lot of sense. I started listening to Gnostic Media, kind of kind of feeding more and more, but recently I've really dived into it. And uh, as I was telling you before I started recording, I've never really ha- heard anybody quite be able to articulate it the way you do. Um, so... Uh, Thanks for coming on, and uh, if you wouldn't mind maybe sharing a few other things, you are also a college professor. Um, So yeah, if you want to go from there. Sure. Very specifically, I am a teacher of acupuncture and oriental medicine. So for folks who go for their license of acupuncture, they go through a procedure of several years, four years usually, and I'm the one... In, over here on the island of Hawaii to help people with that and help them through their schooling. There's um, there's a lot of ways to get through these things, but yeah, that's that's my day job. And I've been into, just like you, the Trivium since I would say Jan Irvin from GnosticMedia.com started uh, promoting it. I, I would say then from there, Richard Grove from the Peace Revolution podcast and tragedyandhope.com. That was another constant reminder of the importance of an actual explainable or explicit method of critical thinking versus, say, an implied or not so explainable version of critical thinking. So, yeah, I, I came through those venues, and that's this is uh, what I do for my own personal upliftment. I realize upliftment is not technically a word yet, but <laughs> I'm aiming for it to be so because it sounds better and less wobbly than spirituality, um, which has a lot of, I would say, negative connotations to people. Um, yeah, and I'm here to specifically, at Drew's request, to cover the subject first of the trivium, then of nonviolent communication. We're going to apply that to personal relationships. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, that's, I agree with upliftment. I think, uh, man, I think, I think spirituality, self-help, I think all those things, uh, have like this negative connotation and it's, uh, I think it's like the whole weird semantics of it. And, uh, so I'm, I'm down with making upliftment a word, (laughs) Daryl. Um, so we'll first off, (laughs) well, first off, uh, I guess what we better get into is just to so listeners know what exactly is the 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 trivium method. The trivium method 
is the first three of the seven liberal arts. If people who have gotten a liberal arts degree but don't know where that word liberal comes from and maybe mistake the word liberal for its modern connotation, the word means of or befitting the free originally. And like a lot of words, it has a lot of wobble to it. So people uh, conflate that one with tax and spend liberal. The three that I'm speaking of, the, these arts are grammar and logic and rhetoric, and that's their classical names. Their more application useful names would be knowledge, understanding, and practical applications of knowledge and understanding, which we would call wisdom. And in computer lingo, it would be input, which is the grammar or base information, processing, which is logic, and output, which is your practical applications, hopefully wisdom. That's awesome. So that's um, that's that's a quick version. Now now I can of course like flesh them out a little bit. Um, when most people hear the word grammar, they're thinking of parts of a sentence, sentence diagramming, and that is of course aspects of English grammar. General grammar is the actual gathering of data or information. It's the input stage in computer processing. It's essentially asking and getting substantial answers to the questions of who, what, where, and when, such as when I started this before we started recording, who is Drew Sample? And you know, I, I did cover with some emails with you, where is Drew Sample? <laughs> and I definitely understand the general gist of the time frame, though I haven't you know, narrowed down your you know, absolute age yet, just like you haven't narrowed down mine yet either. And then there's, of course, the um, who, what, where, and when. Um, the, these are very important aspects of getting information. Notice there's no evaluation yet. This is just getting information. And that's the first step in critical thinking. And the second step is, of course, logic. Another way of putting logic basically is non-contradictory identification. One word for one term. No contradictions. So... Just as a simple example, I'm not sure, uh, since you listen to Live Free FM, I'm assuming, Drew, then you probably would be familiar with the term voluntarism, right? Absolutely. Right. So as a concept, voluntarism is an, a philosophy aiming for consistency. So we have one word for one definition. If I take something from Drew, that's called theft. And it doesn't matter if I put on a shiny badge and a costume and say it's for the common good and that by you know being born within a geographic vicinity drew agreed to essentially give up certain things for the common good it still is theft if he cannot opt out of it if he has no choice but to endure threats or force and that's essentially what happens with the word tax a euphemism for theft so the trivium method is, you know, continuing where you gather your data and you say, oh, what is voluntarism? You do some research, who, what, where, and when, the etymology of the word. Then you go into removing contradictions. You find as a philosophy, it's very consistent. It flows along. They're, they're not really brooking much in the way of hypocrisy, um, that of holding contradictory ideas uh, which are obviously going to create friction in one's mind. So it's trying to remove contradiction. Also, with logic, there's the logical fallacy lists, which all you have to do is go Google informal logical fallacies or 42 fallacies, and you can begin your education on some warning flags that would tell you, hey, 
you know, something coming at you or unfortunately maybe something coming out of your mouth or right from, from your fingers to your keyboard might fit one of those fallacies, then maybe you better stop and double check that. So, um, you know, like the, the red herring doesn't something that's brought up. That's an example of a logical fallacy. It's a fallacy of relevance. Same thing with the ad hominem attack, calling someone a name. It's also a fallacy of relevance. It's, you know, um, giving someone an adjective is irrelevant to the actual points that are brought up in a discussion. And so is answering the question why. And of course, it is the aspect of understanding or comprehension. The third aspect of the trivium rhetoric, mm -hmm. as what it's classically known, is actually the practical aspects of your knowledge, your who, what, where, and when, and your logic or understanding, which is answering why. So putting those two together, you have practical applications. There you can actually take an actual action of plan, or you can make an actionable plan in your mind. So there's another aspect to this, functionally speaking, called the rhetorical triangle. This is where the author, such as myself right now, is actually aware of the message, which are my words, which are guys to go to my audience, that you, Drew, and whoever else is listening to Drew's podcast. So you have an actual chance here to apply yourself to understanding who is your audience. When you're the author, you actually can look at all of the things impacting both author and audience. You can see various aspects of the message that's going out to them. So that's a functional aspect of rhetoric. In modern day parlance, rhetoric has often been taken to be a pejorative term for unwanted or manipulative language used to persuade. That's just, of course, the model. Modern parlance, same thing with the word liberal, which of course has nothing to do with forcefully telling anyone. It word when you look up the dictionary definition, it means of or befitting free. So it's the same type of thing. Grammar does not necessarily mean diagramming a sentence. It does mean general grammar refers to actual knowledge, who, what, where, and when. No evaluations. You get to evaluations in the logic aspect, where you have your logical fallacy filters. So that's the trivium in a nutshell. Input, processing, output, grammar, logic, rhetoric, who, what, where, and when, followed by why, followed by how. And as I'm sure many people have heard Jan Irvin say before, if you put your trivium out of order, if you put your conclusions or beliefs first, such as logic, which is answering why, and then you cherry pick your data or your grammar to fit that and you are trying to avoid actually taking a detailed look at anything that would contradict your conclusion. You have trivium out of order and you have broken method or less functional method of critical thinking. So that's the trivium method basically. It's basically input processing and output who, what, where, and when, why, and how. And I did first learn this in second grade from my second grade teacher, Mrs. Terfrady. And at that point, she just gave it to me as every single uh, article that we read in the newspaper is aiming, if it's doing a good job, to answer these questions. Of course, I you know, was just taking these declarative sentences from her back then and saying, oh, sure, they all answer these questions. Now, of course, all you have to do is look at newspaper and you realize, no, they don't. They often don't. Necessarily answer all of these questions, and certainly not in a row. 
And there's a purpose for having them in this format. You need to know what you're processing before you can process it. You need to have your grammar or your information first. Then you can do your logical processing second. Then you need a practical application of knowledge and understanding. And again, if it's, it's not practical, it is not wisdom. Yes, that's very true. And I think, uh, I think for me personally, um, like, like realistically, I think, uh, how, how long do you think it takes someone to really be able to take the trivium and put it into their everyday life? Like to really, to, to realize like in, in every scenario, which like, which is something that like you, you'd pointed out earlier that you did, you know, the first question you asked me, you know, before we talk, I kind of want to know like, who is Drew Sample? And then in a roundabout way, I was all over the place and I was kind of telling you. And then I said, well, this is this is really me. Uh, I don't really know who I am. And do you think do you think it's uh, I guess what do you think it's it's do you think it's important for people to first ask themselves a question like like maybe when they're applying the trivium um, to themselves, like who am I? You know, why? Why do I do or no, who, what, where, what am I? Why does that make sense? What I'm saying in a roundabout way? Yeah, so two questions. Um, how long does it take? As if everyone could be like, as if there's a standard model human. How long does it take to learn the trivium? And second question is a practice to applying these tactics to oneself. So first question. There is no standard human model, so it takes a different amount of time for every individual. And just like if some student of mine asked, um, I, I teach a beginner Kung Fu class, and someone asked me, how long does it take me to learn Kung Fu till I'm a badass? <laughs> and I would have to say it very much depends on what kind of work they're willing to put into it and what type of damage previously has happened to them. So this method is something I would contend everyone is born with. Every child that I see, every mammal that I interact with, you know, domestic mammals, um, wild ones even, they seem to possess a working application. Maybe not explicit, obviously, because we have a language barrier between little children and you know, animal, other, other mammals, for example, and us humans. Um, there's a language barrier. If I, I would probably and were that language non-existent, this is what is the, the format that's base. I see little children. I, I am a father. I've seen my, my daughter grow up, and I saw her apply the trivium instantly. It was just um, like I have to, of course, reflect on it because I learned the trivium method far after my daughter grew up, actually. She's um, getting close to 18 now. So this is something that would just be a, a very simple of how much are you actually interested in willing to put the effort in and how many edges happened previously. If you have a system of belief that you call your belief system, that would be a problem right there because that is just going to ask you to consistently support the belief system. It's kind of like building your pyramid upside down. It's going to require all these pillars to hold it up like that and it's going to keep wanting to t totter over. Grammar is the base of the pyramid, so you don't need like the the top would would be in in that instance logic. You know, you don't want to build it upside down. You want to have the base at the bottom with information, and building upwards more and more rationally and logically. You don't want to have it upside down. If you start with a belief 
system, that this is my belief system. That's not part of my belief system. Well, I would invite the listener to change the word belief system to these are my conclusions that I use for decision-making processes so far, something like that. And at any point, you could say, you know what, I'm ready to stop as a child would and put conclusions aside and revisit new data or old data, like audit the information that came in. For example, there was a time in the not too distant past, like where I, I was thinking that the solutions for the problems of the world would require centralization, uh, power structures, voting, for example. I was convinced that that was the method that seemed to be the most likely thing. Everyone was doing it, so therefore it's going to work, right? But this time for sure. You know, it's kind of like Rocky pulling the rabbit out of his hat. This time for sure, right? And obviously, data was not matching that conclusion. So I put the conclusion aside. And it didn't take very long to say, for example, listen to the School Sucks podcast, schoolsucksproject.com. And I would say one episode, and then instantly voluntarism, it was done for me. Because at that point, in my knowledge base, I didn't have this damaging thing. I grew up with parents who were devout atheists. I did not have a belief system beyond that one that they propounded, being that there is no, um, what can I say, invisible spirit that animates the body. It's all biochemistry, essentially. That was the belief system that I was, um, I was given. But also with the other aspect and caveat of, but I don't really know what's going on here. And there was also the, the other things, too. So, Drew, do you understand what I mean by damage, right? Yeah, damage. Um, like, I think it might have it might have cut out a little bit. So, what what did you say? Damage? Could you say that again? I'm sorry. Damage. Okay. If you are tr- trying to hold a belief system, you believe something is true. This must be true. That is an aspect of damage. Absolutely. If, for example, to revisit like something that would be contradictory to that conclusion is any in any way emotionally uncomfortable, that shows signs of damage. And I'm gonna, I, I have basically a metaphor that I would use for that call, essentially. So anytime where just even the thought of an idea, entertaining a concept is uncomfortable, is an indication that a splinter, uh, some type of cognitive dissidence, that's an actual term of psychology that you can look up, Wikipedia gives a fair definition, it's an example of damage intellectually speaking, because so far we're covering what I would say is very primary, is intellectual equilibrium tools. So damage to intellectual equilibrium is taking conclusions first, and then basically supporting those conclusions with cherry text grammar or knowledge. And anything that would be contrary to that, there's an uh, either a, a known or not so known application of avoidance of doing real deep audit of the grammar. So if any of this is damaged, as with children with traumatic conditioning, with, you know, you must do this, everyone's doing this, uh, we're going to hate you if you don't do this, meaning this being some belief system, we're all going to church, we're all going to vote, we're all going to do this, and that's the way it's always been done. Well, that would be contrary to, you know, this whole group thing. Um, when I go into the logical fallacies of it, Eventually, uh, sometimes I do, 
I do notice that there's a lot of appeals, appeal to common belief, appeal to tradition. Those are logical fallacies. This doesn't mean that a whole bunch of people cannot be doing something that is actually rational or functional. It does mean that it's a very suspicious reason to support that activity. You need evidence to support the activity. So damage is where the child or adult is not actually going through the process in order as it was born into them. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's It goes back to conditioning. So it goes back to how we're conditioned from, I mean, even just the fact that I think, um, I think, I, th- I think a majority of people are, are damaged. I, I mean, for example, it's just a given a majority yeah. of people are damaged. I, I will confirm this. I wish I could say otherwise, but yes. Yeah. I think even, um, I, I think even just like not betting on, so something for me, like personally that I'm really working hard on, um, is getting a being positioning myself to not be dependent on a corporation to make my living or to not be dependent to, to be able to put myself in a position where I can bet on me every single day and believe in myself enough to where I know I don't need anybody else to take care of me besides me. And I think to a certain extent, like speaking of damage, like I am trying to heal myself with by um what's the what how are we what are we making a word again isn't it uplift what it what did we say we're making a word we're on we're on board for making a word of personal upliftment personal upliftment and and i think that's that's the important thing and i think like i think that the trivium method is why i don't i know it's the key to it and i think i know it's the key to be able to to trust myself to trust my senses to trust my instincts and i think like yeah i think it's the beginning yeah, and I think um, I think to a certain extent, it's like you know, it's it's uh, it's like the path to. I mean, it's helped me get back on a path of like really being able to respect myself or believe in myself enough to stand up for myself. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, and I think the very important aspect of the trivium is that these are the qualitative arts. In other words, we're getting a gist of qualities, we're putting things into a sequence that tends to yield predictable results. And if the result is something one desires and you're consistently getting it predictable, that's trivium intact. Trivium broken, like I described, is where you're not getting predictable results, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results and not getting what it is that you desire voting this time for sure and you know same thing not you know once again you're less than pleased with the results this time for sure it's like over and over again you have the having the conclusion first is a problem what you need to do is when you're not getting predictable results i would say it would be useful to do is you have an opportunity to revisit your methodology a child will automatically do this when they're not damaged when they're not overly traumatized Adults who have been traumatized and are into a program, it is first a bearing witness stage, which gets to the second applications, the emotional equilibrium skills of nonviolent communication. So the trivium is a method of learning anything, like anything at all. Uh, for example, I am a professor of acupuncture and oriental medicine. I have people, they show up, they are getting their 
Masters of Science in Oriental Medicine. So they're, you know, they're going through all these four years, writing their thesis, going through all of this rigmarole, 900 clinical observed hours in the clinic. Um, the procedure is linear. They go through learning the grammar, the specific jargon and nomenclature to our specific science. Now, and also the specific nomenclature to Western medical science. We do both. We have all of this knowledge. It, it crams it into four years. And cramming, I should say, extending it into four years when in all practical reality, anyone listening could be learning this for free in a set of months. Uh, that would be the first step is you're gaining each word. You would have an A to Z nomenclature words for whatever the skill is. Say you were wanting to learn acupuncture, there it all is. Free websites, you could just go on and start the beginning of the process. And then the second step, the logic. Now you need to remove contradictions. You need one word for one term, and you need to see how it works in certain circumstances and how it fails to work in other circumstances because we're in a three-dimensional world that has causes and effects. And correlation is not causation. And there's a lot of hidden variables that are going on. We're in a multi-vector world. In other words, there's not a linear cause. There's not a cause of cancer. Therefore, there will never be a cure for cancer because there's multi-vectors going on. So it's really very simple. You just have you know, a, a simple situation where in this world, you can gain this uh, any type of skill that you wanted, name anything you wanted. All you'd have to do is go through enough of the grammar, learn enough of the logical rules of that scenario, such as you know for football, and I don't, but because you know those logical rules of how football works and doesn't work, you know all the terms, the grammar, basically, you, you have it intact, you've had it over years, you would be able to not just learn this, but you'd be able to teach this. And then, of course, there's the practical applications of your knowledge and understanding. So this is intellectual equilibrium to a T. This is a methodology for critical thinking, meaning that you're aiming for predictable results. That's awesome. That uh, that makes perfect sense. Now, how um, – I think we – like because I want – like something that I want to ask is like how can you use the trivium um, – in your personal life with relationships with people who may not have your best interests at heart. Does that make sense? Like some people, like they might care about you, but they might also take advantage of you. Does that make sense? Like It does make sense, but I, I have to tell you that um, the trivium is just one aspect of intellectual equilibrium. We have emotions. We're emotional creatures. Emotional equilibrium also benefits from having an explicit or explainable skill, and that's where nonviolent communication comes in handy, mostly internally, secondarily externally, or between people. So although it's very useful to have a solid intellectual basis that you would be able to identify people's logical fallacies, pointing them out is often very, very problematic, unless Someone is like me, where Drew, you know, anytime I give you a logical fallacy, you have explicit permission from me to point them out to me, and um, that's um, that's an aspect of it. I will. I promise so, to do so. I don't think I know them quite well enough yet, but if I hear any, yeah. I'm on it. I'm on it, Daryl. I, uh, I I think I like. I think it's it's interesting. Like the more I study, the more I do see it in everyday life. And and sometimes I feel like logical fallacies are actually tied to 
people's emotional damage. And I think you, you pretty much hit on that earlier. And I think it's, and, it, and I think like that's the, the tricky thing for me, um, especially when it comes to like my personal relationships with people is like, I think where I lack in relationship, it's because I, I don't realize where my, where I'm still like kind of have, where I still maybe have fallacies in my, with myself that I, I haven't necessarily, um, I haven't necessarily addressed. And I think it's probably, and I think it's definitely tied to emotional damage that I haven't necessarily addressed either. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. In fact, it's the largest problem that people have. There's a reason why I, I wrote what I sent it to you, and the reason why I'm turning it into a book, though this could take probably two plus years for me at the present rate of learning to hold down an actual job and <laughs> learning how to build up my own personal practice as an acupuncturist and you know, main relationships and <laughs> all these many things while at the same time writing a book. Um, the reason I saw I'm, I'm seeing this as important is because this is a world of damaged individuals like you mentioned. And the biggest problem is within each individual. From here. Let's pretend I've been talking this whole time <laughs> since I'm all warmed up, right? Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your patience. I already started recording you, Daryl. Thank you for your patience through the podcast. Skype. Well, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. It's 2013. Technology is really good. It's way better than what it was in 2003. However, it is still a work in progress. So I should really be grateful. I was telling Daryl earlier how angry I get with technology sometimes, and you just have to laugh it off. Um, but I think what we were we were we were we were, we were blah, blah blah blah. What we were actually talking about was um, I I had just said um, applying uh, emotional attachments to. I mean, really, it's kind of like an emotional attachment to your belief system. Um, and I think it's in – we were kind of talking about that being damaged and then really then not, not NVC, um, nonviolent communication. Yeah, I would say just the even declaring that you have a belief system is indicative of damage just there. Absolutely. Um, when you have something that's saying, OK, I have conclusions that I've made, but I'm always ready to revisit them – when things are academic, meaning when I don't have to make an immediate decision, it's true. When I do need to make an immediate decision, I'm going to use those conclusions. But when I don't, then I have the wherewithal to change that. So that's an application of the trivia method where I go back to constantly doing my grammar. If I don't understand chemtrails, if I don't understand the global climate scenarios going on, I have an opportunity to take some of my free time and actually go and do some grammar work to go and look at a bunch of variety of sources of information, look at the authors and who they are, where they came from, to look at sources of funding of the information, who's paying for the site, etc. I have a chance to go through and do my grammar work. And after a bunch of grammar work, I very well may change my conclusions. So there's an application right there of the trivia method. You keep in mind that until you actually have to make an actual decision of action, your conclusions can remain in a fluid state. If you have a belief system, if something needs to be just so, 
then that would be different. So I understand some people might raise the idea of, well, let's say, coercion. Um, you might have a conclusion that coercion is unacceptable as a strategy. Am I guessing that this might be one of your conclusions, Drew? Yes, yes, I would say so. I think, uh, I think, I think that was something for me personally that I realized that did have to go uh, was my belief system, and I think that. I think like I had to, you know, I really had to take a lens, that lens to myself. Like I had to apply the trivia method to myself if that, and I think it's, it was important for me to gather. And I think like, like that's a difficult thing for me is it's hard to always gather information about yourself because it, you don't like, I think I know when I'm being honest with myself, but I think a lot of times I don't, if that makes sense. It, let me tell you that. We've covered this subject pretty well, including all the interruptions and all of that. Yeah. I think it's very important to just let's just introduce the idea of what has been called nonviolent communication, a system that was developed by Marshall Rosenberg back in '72 and became into its basically well-known format in 1992. And from there, it pretty much swept the world uh, as a methodology. Translated to many languages, it is a system of tactics, basically. Yeah. And what it is included is it completely goes with the trivia method. It begins with the input known as observations. What you take in, essentially, like a video camera takes in the sight and sound and other five senses of information. Next step is noting that what correlates with that in the department of emotions is going on this requires some level of literacy or explicit explainable knowledge of what one is feeling and it is a feeling such as sadness or anger or jealousy or frustration at skype or, <laughs> or for example um you know the the, the various uh, Feelings, um, fear, anxiety, you know, is this, are we going to get connected again? Is this, how is this going to go? Am I going to sound fluid? How, I wonder how he's going to edit this. All of these <laughs> things are feeling going on, right? Absolutely. After that process of identifying the feeling, you get to connect the dots, not to the observations, but to the motivating factors inside oneself that in the methodology of nonviolent communication is called needs. Now, I don't use that word need. I use the word motivating factor, values, desires, and physiological and other femoral needs. Uh, anything that you want, you value, anything you desire, those are listed if you go to the Center for Nonviolent Communication, cnvc.org. Um, that's, you know, charlie, <laughs> nonviolentcommunication.org. Um, you could you could go and do the look up the needs inventory list. If you look that list up, you will notice there is not a single proper noun in there. There's no strategies in there. That aside, so in the same way as with the trivia method, when you do your grammar, you separate what is a tangible item, my desk, my microphone, this computer, and what is an intangible item, liberty, the state, uh, the Good. These these are intangible abstractions. So 
what we get, we do is we go from observations. Okay, we're taking in what that's that's tangible. That's like really like the video camera takes in. Going over to noticing all the emotions going on within us, connecting the dots. You know, when, when I hear this disruption of Skype, and I notice my, my little bit of anxiety about how I'm going to come off when the final edit comes through. I have a need for ease and efficiency and for everything to go smooth with my host, Drew Sample. I have, you know, desire, uh, basically ease and efficiency is the, the, that's the value that I have. I value that. Really. I also value clear communication, communication, basically, and connection, connecting to other people who have gone over these concepts, who can see the value in these tactics. I value that, you know, that's a, this is the point right here where I wanted to link these ideas together. I was going through the traditional letter acronym uh, tactics of nonviolent communication, which are called OFNR. Observations, feelings, needs, which are motivating factors like values and desires, and requests or actions, which is on the tangible side. So it flows over from the tangible observations, intangible feelings, intangible motivations that happen to cause those feelings over to what are you going to do about it? Action, making a request of yourself or someone else, taking action or making a plan of action. That is one part of nonviolent communication. That's the aspects of knowing what is going on inside of you, how you see the world, what you're feeling your values and desires that are causing those feelings are, and then what's the action that you're going to do, whether quietly in your own head, or if you're going to actually make a request of someone else as a tangible action. So it, it flips back and forth. You know, with the trivium, you understand instantly, oh, I'm in the tangible side, observations. Oh, I'm in the intangible, but very real and subjective side, emotions. What Marshall Rosenberg, who created this tactic, did was same as his teacher, Carl Rogers, he connected the dots between what one is emotionally feeling and these ephemeral things called values and desires that everyone has. That it's not the observation, the, the Skype like clunking out on us that made us frustrated. It was the actual desire and value for ease and efficiency in terms of recording a podcast. We, we have ease and efficiency, thus value and desire. Recording a podcast is a strategy. So as long as you know how to separate what is tangible from intangible, what's an abstraction, and what is objectively measurable, you're good. And that's the trivium. That's why I, I highly encourage people learn the trivium first. Then learn nonviolent communication. I cannot tell you how many people who have it the other way learned nonviolent communication but haven't taken the time to learn the infological fallacies they're still pretty much using words and methodologies that do not yield predictable results often because things are out of order. They have a conclusion first. You triggered me. And that's another aspect of nonviolent communication. There are no triggers in the real world. You trigger yourself by the fact that you have values and desires. Anyone who's ever not had values and desires momentarily through some accident or uh, psychedelic event, something that changes your actual perceptions, you notice your feeling change. This is why people self-medicate. This is they want to change their feelings. They know 
that too much of feeling something is too much and they look for a strategy of survival. So yeah, that's the, that's the one aspect of it is doing all this work silently internally. How long does that take to do observations, feelings, motivating factors and actions internally and quietly in one's head? I can tell you, for me, it is a matter of practice. The faster and more often that you do it, the better things go. And that's the step one, the internal application. Step two, interpersonal. So now I'm gonna do that for someone else. I wonder what, how Drew, how does Drew see the situation? Okay, I can picture it, you know, frustrated over, you know, he's trying to connect with me, I'm trying to connect with him. Skype is not working, not happy over there. Here we've switched to the alleged competitor, Google Plus Video Hangout. And there you go. You have a competitor system and, um, you know, then, then I can see, okay, look, it sounds like Drew is a little bit more comfortable. We're back on track. He has a day off tomorrow. I don't, but I happen to be five hours into your past. So, <laughs> so, you know, I'm over on the big island of Hawaii, which is not Oahu, by the way, you know, that's, I'm sorry, kind of for the people who are geographically challenged, I live on the island with a big, huge erupting volcano, not the island with the city of Honolulu, that's Oahu. So, yeah, just like, you know, everything, everyone, I just want you to keep this stuff in mind, okay? So that's some, um, these, these are tactics. I would see, how does Drew see the situation? His observations, what is he feeling? I can hear his laughter because we're choosing to, you know, turn off the video so that we can, you know, have less bandwidth problems possibly. And I'm gathering, okay, this is working well for him. His need for ease and efficiency, maybe that's working so far. You know, he's, he desires ease and efficiency, clear communication, awesome podcast. So I'm hoping to deliver that from our, as far as I can tell, it's happening. And he's occasionally piping up and making an actual request or making some action of his own words to me. And that's interpersonally, that now I'm using OFNR, observations, feelings, needs, requests, as an analysis tool for Drew. I've done myself, now I've done Drew, now I have half of non-communication. So that's half of it, basically, internally and externally, OFNR, your tangible side with observations and eventually ending up with your action, and your intangible side, the feelings and the aspects causing those feelings, which are values and desires that happened a long time ago or that we've created more recently or something in between. So it's the explicit, explainable version of this all of that equals half of it. Now, let me tell you the other half of nonviolent communication. It is the understanding of the 4D of disconnected communication or life alienating communication. A jargon word in NVC is called echo language. Basically, there are four special methods of creating a barrier of uh, like preventing empathy or respect or understanding between people. Knowing how to do this is knowing how to not do it. That's why it's very important to know them. I actually have met people who were studied 10 years into nonviolent communication, and they did not have the four Ds of disconnected communication at the tip of their tongue. So that's a problem. I'm going to tell you what the four Ds are, and uh, then you know we can go into just talking. But the first D, of course, is 
demands. I make a demand of Drew and say, man, turn down the gain on your mic. The Behringer is just a little too much. You know, turn it down. That's a barrier right there. If I made it into a request, then it's a lot easier. He can choose to take it or leave it. He can choose maybe something else that has not been offered as an option. Maybe I should be the one. Is the gain on my mic really high right now? <laughs> I, I just said that to make you self-conscious and all that type of thing. Um, <laughs> it worked. Uh, it worked, yeah. This second way to create a barrier to prevent respect understanding is to give unrequested diagnoses. Um, to say, you're just one of those voluntarious podcasters. Don't you know there's too many of them? You're redundant. So I'm giving you a diagnosis. Redundant. Too many. You know? And that would be uh, a label. Like, you're, you're one of those voluntarists. That's also a label, a, a diagnosis. Any time you give someone a label, call them a statist. Call them, um, what is that, a constitution humper. That's another term. You know? We just need to go back to the constitution. Yeah, it was good back then. Um, that's that's an example of you know giving someone a label is an unrequested diagnosis, and if someone didn't ask for it, then giving it to them is usually a barrier of respect. I think everyone can feel their guard go up, even when you get a compliment, you can feel your guard go up a little bit. Certainly, when you get a pejorative conspiracy theorist, for example then you can definitely regard go up. So that's the second method to create a barrier. Third method, deserve-oriented language. That's punishments and rewards in word terms, basically. You ought to be locked up for doing that show. And the other one, you've been a good boy for doing such a great podcast. Here's your reward. You know, it's everything. You'll get yours, and you've been doing a great job. You're going to get a raise. This is deserve-oriented language. It's connecting. You've eaten all your broccoli, so you get your chocolate chip cookies. Essentially, extrinsic motivating factors. It's the opposite of the way people would prefer to learn. Most people would prefer to learn from intrinsic or internal motivating situations. I learn how to build a fire well because I want to be warm, not because someone else is going to give me a reward for doing so or a punishment if I don't. Uh, by the way, living in Hawaii, I don't make fires as much anymore, but I used to live in Vermont where that was a regular situation. And then here's the final D. It's denial of responsibility. You made me so angry with this interview, the way you just can't get your technical side of things on par, that I'm just going to have to get really ripped pissed at you right now, Drew. You understand me? It's all your fault. I have no responsibility. I have no ability to respond. That's the denial of responsibility. I deny that I am in control of my emotions because my emotions are connected instead of to my motivating factors or values and desires. I'm, I'm assuming that my emotions are connected to what I observe, which is you over there trying to connect to me over here. <laughs> that denies the ability to respond or response ability. So what I say is this. Knowing the four Ds explicitly in the same way as knowing the informal logical fallacies is a tool. When someone uses them directly at me, I can see that they're tipping their hand like we're playing a poker game and they're fully showing their hand. Wow, two threes. You know, they're, they're showing me when they give a demand, 
they're trying to make a request in a less than smooth kind of tragic way. They're trying to ask me something. When they give me a diagnosis that I didn't ask for, they're trying to put me in a box. They're giving me a generalization. They, they're conspiracy theorist, voluntarist, whatever. I, I, don't, I, I, I appreciate that they want to give me a diagnosis, even though I haven't paid them for it. You know, usually when I get a diagnosis, I need a treatment plan with it, and I prefer to have paid for that. But in this instance, I realize what they're trying to do. They are aiming for clarity. They want to put things in the boxes that give them clarity. You know, these people over here, those people over there. When they speak in deserve-oriented language, it's again, it's coming from the belief system. They, things need to be this way and they cannot be that way. It's the extrinsic motivating factor. It's the punishments and rewards way of thinking. And then, of course, denial of responsibility. Uh, when you're taught to not take 100% responsibility or the ability to respond, when you are taught to conflate or confuse the word responsibility with obligation, which does not mean obligation, by the way, but I mean, look it up. Um, it's true that some people would define it that way, and it's become a popular colloquial thing, like the way liberal means of or befitting the free, but people are using it in the terms of, um, I would say, uh, state-sponsored tax and spend. And... That's a very different thing. So it's, it's the knowledge of these things, the denial of responsibility, that they're coming from a space where this is a pattern of behavior. And so that this is what I'm trying to say, to know these four Ds internally, I've got that running, to know them externally, to see what's going on in my audience. And here's the other thing too. Remember the rhetorical triangle? We covered that in, on Skype and hope you recorded that part. <laughs> um, in, in the rhetorical triangle, we have three things, author, message, audience. So what am I going to do? I'm going to know the feelings and the motivating factors that cause the feelings for myself, the author. I'm going to know the observations as well, and I'm going to know what my actions are, which in my case as the author are going to be partially my message. The action I take is to make these words go one after the other. I'm going to know you, Drew. I'm going to know you, how you see the situation, <clears throat> how you see the situation. I'm going to know essentially how you're feeling. I'm going to get a gist of that from your tone of your voice, perhaps your body language. If we had video on, I'm going to figure out what motivates you, what creates those feelings. What are you after? What's your motivation as an actor would know. And then I'm going to see what your actions are. It's the explicit knowledge of all of these things that allows communication. So when you ask me, Daryl, how can I use all this to help in my personal relationships? This is it. It's the knowledge of all of this. And I laid it out there. Now it comes down to practice. I'm done with the lecture. We can discuss all of this. Yeah, that's, uh, that, um, that hit me hard, man. Like just listen to you there. Like I, I just thought about, I think even like with some of the people that I'm closest to, how I don't, I, I really, like, it's kind of interesting. Like I kind of just realized how selfish I can be, if that makes sense. And, uh, you mean self-interested or do you mean, um, maybe do like, maybe you can describe what you mean by selfish to me. What I mean, know? absolutely. What I mean by selfish is that I, it's, 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 I, I feel I feel like 
I, I put too many expectations on situations and the expectations force like are so the the drive behind the expectation gets in the way of me just enjoying the people that I have around me or just enjoying like like an example like I, I I've been enjoying talking to you but like I'm really I'm really want to make sure my podcast sounds good so you so your voice can be heard but sometimes like like I, I focus too much on the idea of what I thought it would be instead of just enjoying what things can be. So I think like, I'll get like, I'll get, I'll get too bossy or I, I don't really take the other person's feelings into consideration. Um, and then I'll, I'll just kind of push if that makes sense. Yeah. I think what I was mentioning was the explicit identification of what the other person is actually observing likely what it is they're feeling, what motivates those feelings, like what is, what is it that they're valuing, desiring, that's what causes their emotions. And then just to actually keep in perspective their actions, say their words, for example. This is just information. It's the grammar that's often missing. The trivium people who, you know, people who promote the trivium, but they do not understand these aspects of nonviolent communication, they are just missing grammar. They're, they're, this is crucial grammar is how is it that I see the situation? How is it that I'm feeling? What are the things that are the genesis of that, those feelings? For me, those are motivating factors, values, desires, and physiological needs. You know, At some point, I'm going to need food, but I had a huge lunch at the farmer's market, and I'm, I'm set for hours. So um, I'm pretty good, but physiological needs are included and that's why I don't use the word need. And then of course, you know, my actions and then yours, you know, how you see it, um, how you're feeling, what creates those feelings, what, what do you motivate? What are your motives? And then your words, your actions. Yeah. So information. No, that makes sense. And I feel like, uh, I think like what you said, like, so, um, yeah. So what, what I miss is I don't, I don't always take into cons. I think I do it like when I'm when I'm at work, and I'm like selling somebody a TV, or if I'm a door guy, and then I'm like you know I'm I'm doing my thing. Um, I think I do do a great job of that. But like let's say it comes to a situation with um, with a female companion, I don't always do that. If that makes sense, I don't always think about that person's feelings or think about how, how am I going to make her, how is she feeling in this situation? Does that make sense? Yeah. And if you do keep in mind this idea of 100% responsibility for all of one's own feelings, that you are actually 100% in control of all of everything you feel, no one ever makes you feel anything ever again. The yeah. process, unfortunately, of traumatic damage in the past has led the conclusion that it is the other people who are making you feel things. They said things, they typed things even, they attacked ideas. That's an absurd, absurd notion. You cannot attack an idea. Um, but people have written this and said this. They were attacking my ideas and, and they, they have to personify themselves and their idea and they interpret it as an insult or attack, and then they say that that's what's causing my feelings. It's not. 
they have a need for ease and efficiency in communication and you know these this type of simple i say this what these words string of words that i'm saying now and you over there you interpret them correctly and i can tell by your response whether or not that is so now when it comes down to it, it a lot of people are not taking 100% responsibility for their own emotions Instead, they are interpreting the observations and uh, I need you to make me feel this way. I need you to need this, need that, you know. Um, of course, it's erroneous. It's impossible. Only, you know, the person themselves, unless you're a Borg and you're connected to the hive mind, you're just an individual, an island to yourself. No one else is feeling them, those feelings. And no one else has those values and desires. This is the critical aspect of people who have not had a powerful psychedelic experience, a powerful life-changing experience, it doesn't have to be biochemical. Anything that's powerful that affects the mind, you notice that it affects your actual values and desires. And by, you know, extension, that affects your actual emotions. People who are aware of this understand, and you can take it one step further and you can take charge of that. So when it comes down to it, you know, we have these these relationships with people, whether getting really close and intimate and everything gets really volatile then that's one of the trickier aspects or when it gets to be the easier ones like you and me where we're kind of distant friends uh kind of just getting to know each other give we give a lot of latitude to each other me and drew you know we we can make mistakes so <laughs> we, we're just getting to know each other everything's okay so far you know we haven't really crossed the line you know um, absolutely so that, that makes it easy. Um, when it goes into the realms of touching upon previous trauma, such as the previous relationships that one has been through affect the present relationships that one is in. So in intimate relationships and in romantic relationships, everything that happened previously that wasn't completely processed, that is what is affecting one's own emotions right there because that's the programming, it's the tension. So if all of it is just quickly processed and understood, like, why am I feeling this? Oh, because of, you know, this, this, and this, and this. I can, I can trace back the, the pattern. I can undo the trauma. I can see the pattern that happened. It gives you an opportunity using these skills. That's what I'm trying to convey. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, um, that's uh, eye-opening. It's, uh, I, I think like it, it's it's just so true. Like I, I think about like issues that I have with 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 uh, with females and dating, and it's and it's it's something that I feel like I have a lot. Of, I handle on a lot of other things, but that's something that like I feel like I let past issues always come back in my current relationships, and it messes them up. If that makes sense. Well, not always. It's not always that, but it's also like. And then also there's the same part of the, the needs or the desires. Like I, I need validation from, from a female person or else I, I'm, I'm not adequate. I can't tell myself that I'm adequate in these areas, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And by the way, I just finally switched to using my Yeti mic over here because um, Google Plus. So maybe you were picking up the, the frogs in the background over here, by the way, which it's are not fine. birds. You know, it's fine. It's uh, it's cold outside here. So hearing frogs is refreshing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, 
Yeah, we, we pretty much covered some of the major gists of these things, but really it comes down to what's the goal, right? Yeah. Like what's the purpose? Every single time I open my mouth, I try to have strategies. In other words, to know what is it that I'm after. This is not necessarily so for the people we speak to. This is not necessarily so for the people we choose to have an intimate relationship with. It's not necessarily so with most interactions because of what I mentioned, the previous traumatic damages. Children are born also empathetic. They're born taking in the observations. They're instantly feeling the feeling and expressing it. I've seen this certainly when taking care of a baby and a toddler, you know, they instantly express their feeling and there is the skill that they slowly can learn when you are really one-on-one -on -one with them and give them a lot of attention to connect the dots between what it is that they're after and what it is that they're feeling and then show them options of strategy so that they can actually help themselves get to where they're trying to go. This is an aspect of understanding that I, I see that's intact in anyone who's not overly traumatized. And of course that this is damaged for people who aren't. So, um, yeah, I'm, you know, just to, to date myself, um, I'm, I'm going to turn 42 in May. Um, how about yourself? I turned, uh, 29 in March. Right. Okay. So in terms of your life, right, in, say, um, your early 20s, did you have a clear vision of what your life's purposes, plural, are? I believed I did at the time. I, I had a I, I thought I had a clear vision, and then it was kind of uh, turned upside down when I started to divorce myself of my belief system and everything else like that. What was the vision? Well, I thought I was going to, uh, I was going to go to college. I was going to get good grades. I was going to get a degree. Well, when I left high school, I was going to get a degree as a pharmacist and make money and not worry about anything. And life was just going to be an adventure. And then I was going to go meet the, the woman of my dreams and we would just be happy and and that was pretty much it. I was going to travel the world. Um, it, I was going to accomplish everything I wanted to. That was uh, anything I put my mind to, I was going to accomplish. That was my goal. All right. Well, that's that's a, a good beginning. Well, what, what happened to change all that, if I can ask? Absolutely. Um, I got into pharmacy and I was doing okay in the classes. Like I was doing fine. And, uh, you know, I wanted to... It was it was kind of like I, I realized that I could I could go to pharmacy school and probably hate my job and all just study all the time or I could I could enjoy college and discover more about myself and 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 then kind of figure out what I wanted to do and it was and the more and more I just kind of like started focusing on myself and discovering myself the more I realized that I I had no idea what I wanted to do and. Uh, and I think that from there, it was like, I felt like I was kind of really obsessed with chasing money. And then I realized that money wasn't really the answer. It's, it's more about like money, not that money is a bad thing, but I, it, that I needed, if I was going to make money, it needed to be on my terms, not somebody else's terms. If that right. makes sense. Sure. Okay. Um, did you then get somewhere else now to have different purposes? 
Um, no, it's it's like I'd lost my purpose from like because I I'd I'd left and then I started sale. I, I was in sales. That was something that happened. I I I studied science. I was actually going to go to school to be a doctor, and I decided that I really didn't want to be a doctor either. Be in the medical field, um, from from experience in a hospital, and then uh, and then I kind of stumbled into a sales job, and then I discovered that I was really good at it. And it was something that I liked to do. And then, and then it became more of, I was doing it because I was good at it, not necessarily because I necessarily enjoyed it, if that makes sense. So then in between, I, I, when I had time off in between jobs, I just try to take a hard look at myself and, and figure out what, what really makes me happy. And so then I decided that I really have a passion for like journalism and I really have a passion for giving people like trying to, to bring attention to things that people aren't seeing. And, and so now my, my, my big passions now are really just uh, trying to do the podcasting with journalism. And at the same time, like promoting either my friends that are comics or promoting, promoting people like yourself who I think have, you know, share life changing information. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of my new focus is, and also applying that information for me, like, still trying to um to uplift myself um, right so you have some purposes now you've identified the vector of direction that you wish to go in yeah well you can imagine what you felt like when you didn't have that vector yeah oh yeah right. i like it i felt uh i felt hopeless i just drank all the time i uh that was, that was my life. I would, you know, I'd go to work, blow money at the bar because I thought that meant I was cool or something and hung out with people that probably most of the time weren't even my friends. Cause when I stopped drinking, they stopped talking to me and stopped wanting to hang out with me. So it kind of became clear for me what, what my lifestyle really was at the time. And, and then it was, it, it, I, I needed to have a sense of purpose again, if that makes sense. Right. There's a reason why I brought these things up. There are many people out there who have been going through or have yet to go through these processes. And from what I've been able to identify, it's a huge source of anxiety, especially the confusion that happens when there is no major directions of purpose. In other words, there's no strategy going on. The older one gets in absence of the strategy, the larger the growth of despair, the sadness, the missed opportunity is what I would call it. Every moment is an opportunity. And every moment that goes by minus this strategy that's being tended to is a missed opportunity. So what I'm trying to say in general is this. The feelings of despair were for you a healthy sign for you just to, to give you as an impetus to go ahead and find purposes. And I do mean plural purposes. And you've identified, of course, you know, in, in this discussion, at least a couple of them. But I know that, you know, if we were to talk at length, we would find more and more and more. And you, you keep identifying them. And to start with, that's great, because then you have a chance of actually getting them. If you, you can design, you know, you have a chance of having a building if you can first start to design the building. You know, you need to be able to, be able to design what it is before you can actually achieve the construction. Um, the health, healthy things are to actually feel despair, 
people who seek to block out the despair are usually trying to they're unwittingly avoiding what it is that's you know the despair is there a friendly way of the the body the mind the whatever aspect is causing these ephemeral emotions to say hey the thing on your values and desires list the so-called needs inventory at cnvc.org there's a bunch of them that are not tended to so you're just going to have to keep feeling this emotions, these emotions specifically until you tend to them. And it's understandable that after, you know, some time of consistently feeling them and not having any strategy, well, you can go two ways. You could kill yourself, you could go crazy, or you could self-medicate, which is a sign showing that you actually wish to survive. You actually want to temporarily unplug, whether with a video game or a movie or with some external, you know, biochemical substance or whatever. Um, it's just a, that's showing like, hey, you actually want to survive. That's good, you know. And so, you know, when you call yourself an addict, give yourself an unwanted diagnosis, as I mentioned before. Um, well, then that's that's the opposite. That's an un, unhelpful. That diagnosis does not actually have a treatment plan attached to it. Uh, and I mean a functional treatment plan. Giving yourself a label does not really help. Um, and it's understandable you wish to have clarity, but and I'm not saying you were doing this, but I'm uh, this is oh, this is a story for other people who are listening. Absolutely. If you actually are tending, you know, to feel this that the confusion of, you know, I I, I talked to all my friends and family about voluntarism, and now I have no friends and family that want to talk to me. And I'm upset about that. Well, yes, because you want to connect with people. You want to communicate with people. And you loved those people and you tried to communicate and it didn't work out. Luckily, there's people like me and Drew who are ready to communicate with you. <laughs> Luckily, there's actually people who want to put two and two together and have a desire and value for consistency, integrity. Those are also values. If you look at the CNBC needs inventory list, cnbc.org, you will see that that integrity and consistency are in there. Um, there's actually many people who've made lists of these motivating factors. It, the knowledge of these things is amazing. You know, knowledge will set you free. The understanding of them, the second application where you remove contradiction, furthers the use of these tools. The full flowering application of all this together is what I was going with that. So you got to this point where you understand, yeah, just like me, I want to make productions too. I'm going to be trying to make voluntary mind productions, podcasts, etc., with some friends of mine over in Maryland and Pennsylvania. Um, That's and, awesome. Um, yeah, thanks. And um, and which you know, due to technical difficulties, keeps getting delayed, but that's okay, you know. <laughs> Not on my part, by the way. You know, it's the guy in Hawaii for some reason can connect just fine. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's like that. I guess th there was a reason why I I shined the light over on your side. I have been there too. When I was in my twenties, I did not know my path. I did not know that I had skill with medical abilities. I did not understand that I had further skill with communication, like apparently some people say that I do. I did not understand that these things could be used together to help create many positive situations that people are desiring, that I'm desiring to create. 
I had to put two and two together over time. I had to take some time. I had to feel despair because I was rudderless without an actual strategy. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you two strategy sentences. They're in the essay I sent you, of course. The sentence on the intellectual side are, what are the purposes of this discussion that I'm having, of this conversation I'm having with someone, of these comments that I'm typing into the chat with these people? What, is the, what are the purposes behind that? To what end does this, does this serve? That's on the intellectual side, the trivium side. So every time you, you go in there and you're, you're saying something or writing something, you know what the purpose is, intellectually speaking, and I mean plural purposes. And then there's the emotional side or empathetic side. How does this help make life more wonderful for all concerned individuals? It's a sentence you can ask yourself, like to say, you know, if I bring up voluntarism to my dad, how is that really going to help his life be more wonderful? Honestly. And for me, of course, I don't have a good answer for that, so I'm not going to. Um, I, I think that it's going to bring up cognitive dissonance, what I called splinters in the mind, where, you know, if he realizes he's been essentially chasing down dead ends and, and you know, kind of like, um, what can I say, praying to a puppet show that never delivers and leads to despair, it touches upon things that he doesn't have the, the tools to deal with. So I, I, I try to keep these things in mind. Who is my audience and how does this serve them, what I'm about to give them? How how do you do you think it's just best just to live your life and and be an example of nonviolent communication and and how it can help help like to use your life kind of as an example not even to talk about it but just to live it you think that's probably the best way to inspire people to want to improve their own lives with nvc and the trivia method I think that the best ways I can spread the information around is like this <clears throat> yeah. in the recorded conversation in essays, in my eventual book that I'm writing, which is going into the language of choice. I'm very pro choice. I'm just consistent about it. I want it, all the choices, you know, absolutely. Um, um, I just, I don't want the choice to end anywhere. I want it to continue basically. And choice has to do with respect. I, I wish for my choices to be respected. And in order to do that, it would require of me to respect other people's choices. And that's where you have a need for boundaries. Good fences make good neighbors. Well, boundaries are important. Absolutely. I'm the only one who could define Daryl Becker's boundaries effectively. That's, and that's very true. So it comes down to those two aspects of boundaries and respect of choice. I only have identified these skills because... Over the years where I was bearing witness to the problem, I went through reading many things, um, Daniel Quinn books, Ishmael and the Story of B, for example, uh, The Continuum Concept by Gene Leadloft. These books were bearing witness to the problems of the world. Um, the Continuum Concept goes a bit more into solutions because it, it's describing healthier methods of parenting, which very much helped me as a young parent. As I was 24 when I became a dad. So, um, and to me, that was young, by the way, you know, no, that's, like, I mean, I was still, you know, pulling it together. You might say, I certainly wasn't the professional, um, teacher that I am presently right now. I, I had other things going on. I wasn't a trained acupuncturist. I wasn't a trained holistic health provider. I, I didn't have a path basically. All I knew was that there was a lot of 
problem. There were a lot of problems going on around me. And over time, I identified the problems as to be internal, that there are these people who have lots of money and power, and they have over the millennia thrived on the ability to perpetuate these traumatic damages to people's critical thinking skills and to people's internal emotional harmony skills. So that we have the, the very nature of villages, of, of communities being divided, of, you know, going back in far, far back in time. And then, you know, eventually the actual families themselves somewhat being splintered and divided and eventually to the modern day where the actual individuals themselves are completely divided. They can't connect empathetically to themselves to say, hey, it's okay. You feel despair because you're not actually acquiring what it is that you desire. That's okay. So now we can figure out what it is that you desire. And using that, the desire, which is, does not include proper nouns, we could come up with a variety of strategies. We can actually design something, engineer it, construct it, but only first by understanding what it is that you're after. So that's why I'm trying to promote these skills. I'm, I don't want to just embody them and live them. Um, that's fine for a while. It's, it certainly seems to work in my personal relationships. It helps. But for the most part, people are suffering all around me. And that's why I got into health first, because I needed to see some situation to remove the obstacle of damage to health. And going further, the damage mentally to health was very important to me. Yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, I think, uh, and I feel like I'm in the same boat. Like, I, I was just kind of thinking when you were talking there, like, I never, I've never thought about studying holistic medicine, even though it would make sense. I think like <laughs> I originally had thought about being a medical doctor until I realized just how, how much of a joke, like the whole fine, the whole medical system is. And like, and it kind of made me realize that this, this isn't something I want to be a part of. This isn't yeah. something I want to perpetuate. So <laughs> instead, I perpetuated people being on their cell phones all the time, 24-7. But <laughs> not saying that that was any better. But I think it's, um, it's interesting because like very much so the same for me. Like People me and it's like I can see what, struggling, what they're struggling with and what's holding them back. But I don't – but for me to help them – it'd be more important if I just help myself first. And, uh, but I, I think it's, so that's why I'd initially had asked you that. Um, but no, I, th I think that's so true what you said though. I mean, I think, you know, conversations like these are conversations that really do help people. Like, you know, I'm, I've, I've tried to be very, very open with things that I was struggling with because I know that me applying nonviolent communication to my life it's going to make my relationships better. It's going to make me more effective when it comes to probably business that I do in the future. It's going to make me more effective when it comes to me raising children or having a family of my own. So I think, um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's been awesome talking to you. Number one. I mean, it, it's been very, up, it's been very uplifting. It's been very uh, personal, uh, personal up, upliftment. I've, I've, I've felt a great amount of personal upliftment. Um, and, uh, 
And yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much all I got right now, Daryl. I just wanted to, to say that. Um, Thank you. Not, not a problem. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, let's, I'm kind of speechless right now, Daryl. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> hey, I understand. When when you take a little bit more time to actually apply yourself to using these skills, you'd have more to say on the matter. And it's the same type of thing. The first step that I've always seen is, is the bearing witness, the stage where you actually have to take in your observations and actually take stock of what you're feeling. So when I took in my observations about the American medical situation about allopathic medicine, what's called orthodox Western medicine. I was someone who received the damaging end of that, and that's what drove me, of course, into holistic, meaning of the whole, medicine. I got into that because of being damaged by Western medicine, by being damaged by the uh, American Medical Association and Food and Drug Administration's preferred methodologies by the people who taught the people um, who eventually taught the doctors who were delivering drugs and treatments to me. So the first step, of course, is to take all of that in and say, yeah, guess what? You've been duped, you know, to say like, you know, guess what? This is, that was, that was damage. It happened. Now it's the same thing as I could do over here on the island of Hawaii. I live on the wet and east side of the Big Island. It rains a bunch. Should I shake my fist at the clouds when I want to go to the beach when it's my day off? Well, that's one method. Or I, I could actually take, you know, you know, there's, there's other plans I can do. I could drive around to the west side where it's all sunny. Um, hey, Daryl, I, I can't hear you right now. Daryl, I can hear you now. You, you can hear me now. Okay. Well... I think mostly I was going over what like lessons in futility. Um, there's there was a purpose for doing something, if you know what the purpose is. So understanding that you can have a goal of equilibrium. What I was what I gave you today, Drew, was a whole bunch of tools. The applications of them will reveal things. But as you had to go through when you were discovering about the American medical situation about the world medical situation, what people buy as a, their declarative sentences coming from authorities dressed in lab coats. Um, this is a problem. People are, encouraging, uh, their, people are incurring damage and death from those people, and I know they mean well, but they're still killing and damaging people. That doesn't change the fact that they're killing and damaging people. However, the people who accepted their medical help that's where the damage is, you know, like starting basically. They 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 bought it. And of course, fault, just like uh, I've heard some people say, the, the fault lies with the person who's weakest to cast blame. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the, the the person who's the weakest basically who's gonna do that because it you know, in reality there's cause and effect. We live in a cause and effect universe, back to the trivium again. You're gonna do something. You can you can see the causes and effects basically, but we it's not perfect. This is a multi-vector universe. So the first stage of all this, uh, Drew. I mean, we're going to be we're coming to the close of this discussion. You you get to actually feel what you're feeling upon the recollection of all of this information. You can actually see what happened in the past when you were obviously using different methods of 
communicating to yourself first and different methods to communicate to other people. Perhaps you might have used any of the four Ds yourself, Drew, maybe. Um, you might have made demands of other people or given them a label, like a diagnosis. You can see the now the effects of that with this knowledge. Perhaps you, um, as you study the logical fallacies, you could have seen instances in your past where you used them, where you took a declarative sentence, where you, as, as fact, where you um, were appealing to an authority. So that's the most dangerous of all the fallacies, appeal to authority. Um, you, could, you could see this and then you could go ahead and say, okay, I, I feel sad because I missed an opportunity back then. And the next step, of course, is you, you have an opportunity now. You know, you're still young. It's awesome. You, you actually have a podcast up. Hey, I'm trying to catch up with you, you know, <laughs> and, um, and all these other people. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the gist of it. I'm, I'm not sure um, if you have any uh, final questions for this. What I'd like to do is me do some work on, in educating myself on nonviolent communication and um and then apply it in my life and then touch base with you again and possibly record like improvements or ways that my everyday life has changed as a result of it if that makes sense if if you're open to that um if if that sounds good yeah well, why would i be against that i don't know i don't i don't <laughs> think you would be. i don't think you would be i don't think you would be uh, I think that's something else I think I need to work on. Sometimes I'm not always, uh, I'm not, it's, it's weird for me to, I think sometimes like the confidence in myself, like in the sense of like, it's, it's weird for me to hear you talking to Nathan and be like, wow, that guy's super smart and talk to you and I always think like, yeah, people want to talk to me. And I think, I think sometimes like I try to stay humble, but me saying, staying humble is also like a way for me to hide where I, I kind of lack in belief in myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's something else. Of, so, um, but anyways, Daryl, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you recording the rest of this for me and uh, looking forward to finishing the essay that you sent. And I will be posting a link for that in the description of this podcast. And uh, so people can, um, what I think I'll probably do is just put it in my Dropbox and put the link there so people can